if you want to be positive, you can be positive. It's just about putting that mindset to work and understanding that you have control over what you think about. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today we have a very special guest. It is my producer, Sam Davidson. And today we are going to be going over some of your questions and some answers for you. And, uh, you know, we'll see if we could try and help you a little bit while you guys help us a little bit. It's a give and a take, you know, but Sam, thank you for hopping on. And I can't wait to get into this with you. I have a lot of fun when we do this. I know. Thank you, Danny. And thank you, everyone that sent in your questions last week. We got some really, really awesome ones. But yeah, before you know, we get started, Danny and I were just kind of talking a little bit about some panic attacks we've had in the past couple of days. Something must be in the air. You had one last week and you posted about it on social media. I just wanted to see if you wanted to share with the audience like how you get over stuff like that. I think it was like two days ago. I was sitting at my office, like where I am now, my in my little gamer chair. I was editing something for the Lil Priori podcast, and I started to get these heart flutters, these like weird heart palps, I guess. And uh, like we were talking before, I was saying, I feel like I'm pretty like a seasoned vet when it comes to it now. Like I'm really, really, really used to them, like and how to handle them. And we'll cover some of the stuff I use to handle them later. But this one just wouldn't go away. And I made the analogy. It's it was the feeling of uh, what are those things called? The calibrators, the wall calibrators, to see if something's straight or not. Yeah, that little bubble that has to line up between those two lines mm-hmm. to be perfectly straight. I couldn't get it in there. Mm-hmm. So it was constantly a day of just recalibrating, trying to figure out how do I get myself back in that zone, and. I couldn't get myself back in that zone for like seven hours until I just fell asleep. And thankfully, the sleep worked. And uh, I woke up pretty good, pretty good. I I woke up a little bit anxious. I could tell that I was having some panic probably in my sleep. I was like super sweaty. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, it was just like one of those panic attacks that just wouldn't go away. And I just had to really like bite down and get through it. I refused to go to the emergency room. Yeah. As much as I love going, I just, <laughs> you know, like I used to hate doctors as a kid. I love them now. Oh my God. What you want is that, that reassurance of like, actually nothing's really wrong. But in the back of your mind, you start thinking all like the negative stuff about you. You're like, well, like I'm overweight, I have asthma, I have diabetes. It could really legitimately be a heart problem. And, mm-hmm. and it could, it could, but odds are it isn't. So, you know, you kind of have that to rest on in the back of your mind. But I just told myself that I can't go because it would just be repeating a cycle of just like nonsense and hypochondria that I have to get over. What would that have looked like? It would have, I would have went in there, told them my symptoms. They would have gave me an EKG to prove that I wasn't having a heart attack. They would take my blood pressure, my blood sugar, 
And then they would probably take some blood and look for my troponin level to make sure I wasn't having a heart attack. That's exactly what it would be because I've done it so many friggin' times. And then you would go home. And then I would just go home. And then I would just be sad that I even went and wasted time. And it's weird because when you live with someone else, panic is like the worst. Mm. Because I haven't had a panic attack this bad where I had like disassociation issues where my fiance was speaking to me and I was just looking off, not here. Like she sounded like a teacher from Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. I couldn't process anything she was saying. She knew it was bad. She knows when they're bad. She could see them like on my face and in the way that I'm like moving around. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, this dude's going through it. I could feel it for him. It's that bad. Yeah, my my boyfriend is doing the same thing now. Like when I'm going through it, I really try to get in control of my breath. And um, I used to call it lamazing. Like I would go through everyone like everyone's like, are you giving birth? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, yesterday I didn't want to worry my boyfriend because I was having a lot of panic and anxiety yesterday. I had no idea why I blame it on daylight savings time. Honestly, yeah, messes you up. And it yeah. snowed like we lost an hour yesterday. It was snowing in North Carolina. I just wasn't feeling myself, but I just kind of wanted to breathe it out and just be weird. But he was noticing the weird and he's just like, dude, are you are you okay? And yeah. I'm like, I just gotta I'm I'll be fine. About them. You get anxious yeah. about them seeing you anxious. Mm-hmm. And then it adds to it. It's not their fault, but you're like, oh man, like now I have to like try and be a person that I can't be right now. The next day, I made plans to hang out with my friend that I haven't seen in a while and made it kind of my goal to be like, I'm doing this. I'm a big fan of exposure therapy. That's like what I have to do. But, you know, if I got to have a seven hour panic attack, like every once in a while, like I'm going to do it. I just stack up all like I talked about it before. It's it's just about stacking up that time in between panic attacks and kind of embracing that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I used to to embrace the impending doom more than I embrace like the impending light at the end of the tunnel after every one of these. That's a really good segue into our first question. These questions are awesome. Thank you guys so much. This is coming from at underscore uncle underscore Ben's. How do you recognize that your mind only picks up on the negative stuff? It's like a bad storm that always follows me. It's a great question. And for me, from experience, I think I've just kind of been drawn to negativity at times in my life. I have like pockets in my life where I could only see negative things. But the big like aha moment for me, like the light bulb going off was really kind of understanding that you have control over what you think about most of the time. We have exterior influences that, you know, can make us think negatively, like things we see on news, things we see on social media. We're exposed to more negative, more negativity, excuse me, than any other era ever, you know? So like, even like during World War II, they would make like videos like, we're winning the war and everything's okay, you know? And (laughs) people still like went to school and people were like, they were a little, uh, I don't want to say tougher, but they were a little more, I guess, ignorant to like what was going on. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, not to say, say that it was like that, but people were ignorant, like, Yeah, we're very much in a red pill era as opposed to a blue pill era like back then matrix reference. But, you know, blue pill is what you take when you don't want to see everything that's happening. You just want to see the good stuff and whatever will get you by. Red pill is the truth, whether it's pretty or not. Yeah. And I think that really obviously starts, you know, to mainly answer the question is it starts with you. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't want to take accountability when it comes to what's going on in our lives, whether it be negative or positive. It's one of those things where the hardest thing for me to do was to realize I was a source of a lot of the problems that I was having. And then even to this day, I'm I'm the source of a lot of problems that I have <laughs> to this day. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's about taking accountability. I think in anything, you have to take accountability and tell yourself that you're not going to think negatively. Yeah. Practice. You have to practice these things. I was talking on the show, I think last week, where I just appreciate small things in my life, whether it's like the 10 minutes I have with my dog. I have a great conversation downstairs with my doorman. You know, like I have these moments that like positively affect my day. I go out of my way to have these interactions, whether it be with people or the things around me. Like if I see something cool, like I'm like a five-year-old, I'll stop. I saw a ferry today. I stopped and looked at it for like five minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really cool. So like it really started with me. I used to be so caught up in being negative that I could paint anything as negative. I became this real negative artist where I could construe and, and conjure things to be negative. But a lot of it's just taking accountability and telling yourself that you're not going to go that route today. And you start with one day trying to be positive throughout the day. Now, being negative, sometimes we have to be negative to be positive. So maybe you're just in a negative standpoint in your life right now. And when you get to that positive era of your life, you'll look back at this and kind of, you know, realize, wow, well, it really was a mindset. It is. Yeah. When my parents got divorced and I found out my dad was having an affair when I was nine years old. So like that caused a lot of like anxiety, stress, anger. So I would do this thing where I would think of the worst possible thing that could happen in every scenario because I felt as though by doing that, I would jinx it and have control over the outcome. So the bad thing would not happen. But that's not really how, you know, things work. In fact, that kind of it's law of attraction that kind of brings more negative things to you. But my dad always used to tell me when he would catch me in these negative ruts and it would drive me crazy because it was so true. It was the glass half full or the glass half empty analogy. There's duality to everything. It's your lens. It's how you see it. Like I always would see the glass half empty. And sometimes I I still am very much like that. I'm like, well, there's no water in it. So that part of it. So, but then I don't look at the part where there is water, you know? That's the hardest part is, like you said, like even telling somebody, listen, the the glass is half empty, the glass is half full. Right there, they're telling you to change your mindset. Mm -hmm. It's really a mindset thing and it takes practice. And one of the main things that I could recommend is introduce something positive to your life. Whether, you know, I don't know what this person's interests are, but if you're, if you like music, play more music. If you exercise, do something different. Like say like uh, you do yoga, try Pilates, mm-hmm. you know, try something different that you really enjoy doing because you got to understand you have to introduce positive things to your life. Yeah. You have to introduce positive influence. There's always a duality to it. Like, let's say, you know, you get in a car accident and you do a shit ton of damage to your car and it sucks. Right. But you could also think of it in a way that well, I've been really meaning to get a new car for a while. Yeah. This might be a good opportunity for me to finally do that. That, and then also to be like, oh, I could be fucking dead. Yep. Like I see people like, oh my God, like I crashed my car. My car is so fucked up. And now my mindset used to be like, yo, that really sucks, but I'm walking away from this. When you have negative thoughts, you kind of have to look outside your body in a weird sense and be 
would I want to hang out with me? Yeah. I've had that conversation so many times. I'm like, would I want to hang out with me? Like, I'm so fucking negative all the time. It's like how it's easier to be fat than it is to be skinny. It's yeah. a lot easier to be fucking negative than it is to be positive because of all that exterior influence that we have. But mm-hmm. you have to prove it to yourself. And it starts with you. And I know that probably sounds like, oh, my God. But it, it's the truth. It really starts with us and how we look and our outlook on the world. And by the world, I mean our world. Mm-hmm. Don't worry so much about what's going on in the world so much. Yeah. You know, worry about your world. Like if you want big things to change in the world, you have to start in your world. If you want to be positive, you can be positive. It's just about putting that mindset to work and understanding that you have control over what you think about. Some people don't have the luxury to think about being negative or positive because mentally they're so sick. Like there's people out there with severe mental illness that, you know, all jokes aside, like don't even know what day it is. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to look at it like that. It's uh, you kind of have the ability to kind of decipher what's going on throughout your day. We have to take that advantage of that. And like I said, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. All right. Well, let's go to the next question at Samantha underscore Rose underscore K. With all of the stigma around mental health, especially men's mental health, what advice would you have for a partner of someone who struggles with mental health but isn't ready to talk about it or is too afraid of it being used as emotional warfare? That's hmm. hard. That's a great question. Yeah. Well, as somebody uh, who's in a relationship and Last time I checked, I was a man. <laughs> Sorry, excuse for one, but I am a man. I'm just kidding. No. But no, no, no. Positive. Positive, right? That's what it is. Let's switch it. I'm a great man. See, I switched it up right sure there. Sure are. Yep. Put it to use. <laughs> As men, I think a lot of the time we don't come out about how we're feeling is because we don't want to be judged by our partner. We don't want to look weak. I don't want to look weak in front of women. Who wants to look weak in front of women? Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we feel like women want this sensitive, loving guy, I feel like men want their guy to be a little bit, you know, macho at times, you know, to be a man, as they say. So, you know, when we're dealing with those kind of situations, we don't want to expose the hardships that we're going to uh, and being emotional as men. And uh, like we were talking about old eras before, like we weren't really allowed to be soft, you know, yeah. that's, that's the word. Oh, you're soft. Like everything, you just stop being soft. Like you're dealing with this. So when you're with someone that you have to be the most masculine around, you have to be masculine around your woman. So she feels protected. Yeah. But you know what? The stigma is changing. There's this like new TikTok trend or, or something. It's like, anytime you're on a date with a guy and they say they're in therapy, it's all of a sudden it's like the girls are like, just dying for them. You know, it's so sexy. Danny, how long have you been in therapy and stuff like treating your mental health? Yeah. So I'm 34 now. I would say that it started slowly around 27. I started to kind of realize there was some stuff going on, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was getting into like a kind of a weird like space in my life, the way that I was thinking and negative thinking. I was seeing a lot of the negative instead of the positive. Were you afraid you were going to be a part of the 27 club? At one point I was. At one point I was. Yeah. I had a real fear around that. It was funny. It was, I was like, oh no. I was like, well, at least I'll be an icon, but you know, it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll get a couple shares on Twitter. They'll post like, let me suck your titties for a day. (laughs) Uh, It was something where I just started to realize something was off. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just wasn't being, I just wasn't myself, gained a lot of weight, lost some friends, you know, that actually passed away. So that, that added to it. You start to see that you're not like a safe kid anymore. Like thing, bad things yeah. happen. Like in the back of your mind, you always know that like, you know, there's bad things that can happen, but when you're already in a negative mindset and bad things happen, it's just like a kind of a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But um, to fast forward, I started really going at the age of 29. I mean, if you had a girlfriend or even a friend and did anyone ever say anything to you like, hey, Danny, like you might want to get into therapy or you might need help? Or if they didn't, how would you have reacted to that? So to answer your question, yes. And it was to blow up mm. because nobody wants to admit they have a problem. Yeah. Who wants to admit they have a problem. That's like the most derogatory thing that you could say about yourself, you know, to be like, dude, you have a fucking problem. Then when somebody else says that to you, it's like, dude, you got problems. The first thing to do instead of taking like accountability, like we talked about before and being like, you know what, maybe I do. I'm going to go get help. It would be to blow up, get upset. You don't fucking know what you're talking about. You yeah. know, I have to deal with this. This happened to me. So this is why I'm like this. You know, yeah. so it, a lot of it is 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 accountability as it sounds very macho even when I say that. But it's not even about that. It's about saying I'm going to just take control of my life. But back then I would flip out anybody who said I had a problem. So like back to Samantha's question, I mean, do you just not say anything then? JT no. Boyfriend or like, what do you do? No, I mean, th- this is what it is. It's boyfriend, not husband. Mm-hmm. I know we all love each other and we all love everybody, but people have to take care of themselves. If that's if that's a situation where you don't feel comfortable talking to your partner, it's probably not a, the best relationship to be in. True. You know, and I'm not telling anybody to break up with anybody. I'm not telling it, but I just coming from, I wouldn't want to be with me when I was like that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have to look out for the best. And then if people aren't willing to put in the effort and try and change for people that they say that they love, it's, it's not, it doesn't sit well with me. You have to really put yourself in situations to be uncomfortable if you want a relationship to work. You know what I mean? Like there's so many times like my fiance would be like, Hey, like, what's up? I want to go to this farmer's market. You know, I don't love farmer's markets, mm-hmm. but I love her. So I'll go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, she has friends in town, you know what? And the Knicks are on. I would love to watch the Knicks. I love watching the Knicks, but it's not about doing the actual thing. It's about being on the same page and showing your partner that you love them. Samantha, for you even asking this question shows that you love this person. Now, I always think of it as, would this person ask that question for you? Yeah. You know, and sometimes you have to be, you have to be very selfish with your future and you have to be very selfish with how you want the rest of your life to kind of turn out. People always think about their distant future. I'm talking about really soon future. Mm-hmm. You know, do you really want to like go the rest of your life, like having to deal with somebody that's like not willing to put the work in? If they're willing to put the work in to make the relationship work, even if it doesn't meet the expectations that you want it to, the fact that someone put in the work shows me that they love me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're trying at least, you know, it, it's hard to reinvent people when it's, it's almost more easy to reinvent a partner than it is to like reinvent ourselves. You kind of have to take a look at yourself again. And say, listen, is this something that I really want to deal with? I always look at it like, think of the worst thing about your partner. Can you deal with that one thing for the rest of your life? So if for you, I'm not saying an ultimatum, 
Sam, but you need to be honest about how it's making you feel and it's hindering on your happiness and your mental health. And it might not be the best thing for your life. So you have to have a conversation with them and say, listen, if this is going to work, we're going to have to work on this together. Yeah. And then, you know, he might be like, well, what do you what do you want me to do? Right. And then you could be prepared and say, well, actually, here are some books. Here's some really cool Instagram accounts. Show them off the cuff with other men talking about their struggles and and maybe some recommendations for therapy. And, you know, that that it's important to you, too. I mean, it is very hard when someone doesn't want the help. But if you offer the help and they turn it down, then that's when I think, you know, it might be time to reconsider some things. Yeah. Present a solution present a positive, a positive outlook on it and say, you know, you don't even have to be like, listen, like, I know you're going through some stuff. I got some stuff that I think that would help you. You know, don't, you don't have to do it. Like if you don't do this, we're done. Cause that's just challenging someone, but you can say, listen, I really want you to check this book out and you kind of have to leave it up to them. We can't control the people that we're with. Yeah. They have to be willing to, you know, put that work in and fight for a relationship. That's what you're going to have to do. Present what you can, like Sam said, to actually introduce a solution. And then whatever they do with it, they do with it. And then if you have to reevaluate, you reevaluate. Yeah, absolutely. This is a cool question. I like this at Beth Dejat. How do you do stand up as someone who has anxiety? Was it hard for you the first time and did it get easier? Great question. I have a weird relationship with stand up because I feel safer on stage than I do in Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I walk out there and there's this like a uh, protective bubble around me because I'm so focused on entertaining the audience that I kind of forget that I have anxiety and panic. And I talk about them in my show. They're a part of my bit and they're a part of you know my ethos. Like People know me for that because I've been very transparent and we do the show. In the first time, I was very nervous. I wasn't anxious. But I thought about everything that I've gone through in my life to get to that moment. And it was like a celebration that I actually have convinced myself that I'm funny enough to myself to go up there and be on stage. And then also that I have the mental fortitude to do it because I'm telling you, it's almost like a lot of my symptoms kind of left after I started doing stand up because mm-hmm. I actually conquered something that I've wanted to do. And by conquer, I mean just getting on stage and, and performing and writing and doing a show live. And having people come see you that only see you on the internet, you know, and and it becomes a moment. It becomes a moment. So now it's like I'm almost in in the business of creating moments for people. Mm. And that's really fun to me that whether there's 10 people in the crowd or there's 200 or 10,000, whatever, it's all the same. I'm going to give whatever I have to give to make sure that you had a good night there and kind of putting that responsibility on myself to give people a good show Mm -hmm. has in that hour gets rid of the anxiousness and the panic and the anxiety in terms of what's going on with me outside of the Mm -hmm. club. You know, I don't bring that into the club. Yeah. I leave it there. And if I have to pick it up when I get there, but most of the time I'm better off by the time I get out of the club, because I just had a great time and a great release. So it's actually been more of a release for me to get on stage, but nerves are a different thing. I have a lot of nerves, pre-show, 
post show, I get like the adrenaline dump, you know, and that could be that could make you depressed too, because it's like I just did something so cool, and now I'm just like in the Hilton, you know what I mean, like sleeping, and now I got to get on a plane and like go home tomorrow. So it's like you know, it, there's little things. It's an emotional roller coaster, but it's about just embracing it. But yeah, for some reason, I've just been lucky that when I go out there, it's almost like I'm in this protective force field. I'm in like this little pot mobile. And, you know, people are there to see me like I'm blessed, like it's a beautiful thing to to experience. And I tell people all the time, like, there's nothing like like bombing, like bombing will like, if you can get through that, you can get through a lot. Yeah, you can get through a lot in life. So, yeah, I just said, fuck it and went for it. I'd rather be nervous than anxious. What do you categorize the difference between the two? I would categorize the difference between the two is. Anxiety for me has a more physical, more physical aspects to it. Like uh, my heart, my fight or flight is more is firing, you know, and it's almost like, you know, what I mean, I'm just like looking around like I can hear wind from like 10. Yeah, miles like away. you're disassociating, you're not in your body. Yeah, I'm not in my body. I'm not present. Wind touching my skin like makes me anxious, like because it feels different than it did five hours ago. So like, there's more things to think about. Nerves are just like, oh man, like I'm I'm just ready to get out there and start it and get it going. And nervous and being nervous is more of like an emotional thing in terms of being in like that moment. It's like when somebody proposes to somebody and they know they're gonna say yes, but you're still yeah. nervous. Yeah, That's, like I'm sure you'll be nervous when Selena walks down the aisle, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. Now, I'll be nervous my entire wedding day, but like that's just, I think that's just more like natural emotion mm-hmm. than actually having like the physiological part of anxiety. Yeah, it's excitement. Yeah, it's excitement. You know what I mean? Like one's a disorder and then like one's just like, you know, it's kind of normal to be nervous about, yeah. about your wedding. You know, you get like kind of like, you know, you get like, kind of like, <laughs> You could be happy, nervous, and like you could be like, oh, like the anticipation. Like no one, nobody likes the anticipation of an anxiety attack or a sneeze. And it shows that like you can do something scary. That that's really scary to most. You know, I used to do stand up, and people used to ask me the same question, especially close family and friends that know me and know that I'm an anxious person. They're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I think there might be something wrong with me, but somehow something turns off and something turns on. And then I'm fine. Like, I just, it's, it's hard to explain it, but I think, you know, a lot of comedians do have mental health issues, panic disorders, but they have so much of the same experience. It's just kind of a a safe place for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Like you were saying, it it shuts off. It shows you how powerful the mind is and a lot, how a lot of this stuff we get ourselves into because Mm -hmm. we start thinking up negative thoughts and becomes a fuss. You have to introduce things to shock your system in life. And I think stand-up came at the right time in my life for sure. All right. The next question at Oni Haterman. Have you had problems with getting out of bed just due to anxiety? I've been having it recently. I desperately want to get up and get going, but something in my mind just prevents me from doing so for far too long. Any tips to sort of get over that hump? Well, you said that you, you've been waking up with some anxiety, right? Yeah, it, it happens on Mondays. Usually doesn't happen on the weekends. I still haven't really found the answer yet, but I know the feeling that you're talking about. And you want to stay in bed, but even staying in bed is giving you anxiety. And you just feel like completely frozen and don't know, you know what to do. But I've 
been starting to kind of listen to some morning meditations that are just kind of like frequencies and sounds. To be honest, I did it this morning. It was giving me more anxiety. So I turned it off. That happens to me sometimes too. Honestly, like rain. I like to play rain a lot when I go to sleep. For some reason, the sound of rain and thunderstorms calms me down. So I feel like maybe I'll start doing that again in the morning to kind of get me regulated. But it's such a sucky feeling. I totally feel you when you wake up in the morning, you can't get out of bed. You just have those bad butterflies in your stomach. I, I'm still looking for the answer myself. So I kind of created a reason to get out of bed. And by that is give yourself a reason to get out of bed. I have to walk my dogs. Mm-hmm. So my dogs have to go outside. You know, and they can't do it themselves. So I have to get up and I have to take them out. So kind of creating a habit that you have to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best thing. I've, I, I've known friends that have put their phones in the living room. So they have to get out of bed to get their phone. That's hard for some people, but you have to create these things that are going to get you out of bed because you kind of don't have a choice. You know, when you have the choice to stay in bed, that's the choice to make. Who doesn't want to stay in bed? Right. If I have a choice between staying in bed and not having to do shit, I'm going to stay in bed. I do it all the time. I love it. (laughs) You know, I I love staying in bed, you know, because I I work late hours anyway. So it's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, I earned this. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, I'm in there. But, you know, knowing that like uh, my dogs will die if I don't feed them. My dogs will my dogs will shit and piss themselves if I don't take them outside. Mm-hmm. So now I've created a lifestyle where people depend well, not people, but somebody depends on me in the morning to kind of do what I have to do to get out of bed. So I would say for you, start small and create something that you have to do to actually get you physically out of bed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the evolution of that is when you get out of bed, you make the bed. You know, nobody, nobody wants to get into a bed that's made. Because you just spent all the time making it. So yeah, create something for you to get out of bed in the morning at the same time almost every day. Like my dogs have to go out at like 6.30. The little one starts crying. So we have to go outside. So I'm out of bed. I'm out of bed. Mm, That's early. Yeah, it sucks. Do you ever go to bed after or no? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I nap on the couch. Mm -hmm. I nap nap right here. Because if I go in there, day's over. I associate my bedroom with bedtime. So I try to stay out of there as much as possible because my mind is trained to think that it's bedtime. Mm-hmm. I actually get more tired when I'm in my bedroom than when I do when I'm out here, like on the couch or in my office. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good to separate your space as much as you can. Any kind of routine you can do in the morning, even if, you know, who knows if this lemon water thing actually works. Every year I'm like, I'm going to drink lemon water every morning because they say it helps and and who knows. But if you promise yourself you're going to do it every day and you wake up and you're like, I'm going to have lemon water at 9 a.m. every day. I have to be up to drink it. You know, once you're out of bed and you're doing things like it's just a matter of getting there, getting out of bed. And, you know, if you live with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and any kind of partner, ask them to hold you accountable a little bit. You know, if they get up early. Ask them to make sure you're up by a certain time too. And it'll feel uncomfortable and icky at the beginning, but you'll get used to it. Yeah. And you know, I'm not saying get out of bed and go fucking running. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like create a reason why you have to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Create a reason to get out of bed when you're supposed to get out of bed. And once you're up, you're up. That's the hardest thing. It's like, uh, 
it is like the gym. It's like the hardest part is getting there. Mm -hmm. It's like 50% of it. Like 50% of it is just getting out of the bed. Yep. So create a sense of urgency of like, oh, this is a reason why I have to get out of bed. I have something I actually have to do. Yeah, that's great advice. All right. We have Gia underscore NNA underscore 199. How do you stop overthinking every little thing? Like when you're overthinking, what helps you stop? Journaling. Journaling. Because sometimes, uh, and saying things out loud, but journaling is a, is a big one for me because now it's left my brain and it's left my hand and now it's written down and it's something for me to revisit. So, but also like saying things out loud kind of helps me realize like how ridiculous what I'm thinking about is. Yeah. I like to call it zooming out, like seeing things from this bird's eye point of view and being like, okay, if I'm looking at this from such a larger lens, like this is the story of my life, let's say, is this little thing that I'm so worried about that I'm probably just creating in my own mind? Is that even important when I zoom out? Is that even a blip on the radar? And the answer is probably not. It's not. No. And it's probably something you're going to forget by the end of the week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been talking with my therapist a lot recently about assumptions and, you know, makes an ass of you and out of me. But, you know, it's like, okay, what do you know to be true? 100% make a list of those things. Hmm. What are you assuming? What do you know not to be true? Make those lists and just burn the other list because you have no idea what's going on through somebody's mind. There's someone's psyche. Like right now I have a girlfriend that got kind of mad at me about something that I said. I apologized and she's kind of been ghosting me a little bit. And yeah. And I'm really upset and I'm hurt. And I, in my mind, I'm like, well, she doesn't want to be my friend anymore. She hates me. She's talking shit about me behind my back. People don't want to hang out with me because they think I'm a downer that, you know, I started making a list of all these assumptions and I was telling my therapist about it. And he was like, you don't know any of that stuff. You're just making that up. Like, don't go down that road because you really don't know. Just stick with what you know. Yeah, that's why you really do. And, you know, Practice writing when you start to have those things. Journaling, yeah. And you'll yeah, see how journaling. silly it sounds too. Yeah, once you kind of like see it, like like I said, I say things out loud. And then when I say it out loud, I'm like, uh, yeah, that's a little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Mind can make anything sound right. But uh, you have to expose those feelings either through writing or or saying them out loud. It's weird. There's a lot of simple fixes to a lot of things that cause us major stress. Mm -hmm. it's wanting to try. It's like really wanting to try. It's, yeah. It's, it's, a lot of it's just wanting the effort and starting small and building something where you're comfortable. Not everybody has to be like, you know, this Phoenix that rises from the ashes. And, and, you know, it's like this, ha like we we've seen too many movies, yeah. you know, you got to just get better a little bit. Mm -hmm. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And I think, overthinking and intrusive thoughts are very similar. Yeah, it's normal. It's, you know, around the same thing. And think about how many opportunities you have or could miss by overthinking and thinking an intrusive thought. Like, let's say you get invited to a party and you're scared to go because you think no one's going to talk to you. No one likes you. You think, oh, I was only invited because I'm so-and-so's friend or whatever thought you're overthinking and telling yourself. And you don't go to the party. And you missed out on a really fun night. It could have been one of the best nights of your life. And you just didn't go because you were overthinking every little thing. Yeah. I'd, ra I'd rather go to something and it suck than not go. Mm -hmm. I'm a big FOMO guy now. 
Yeah. I used to be a stay home guy. I'm a little more FOMO-ish now. So I, I kind of want to be places. <laughs> Me too. All right. This is at Yo Boy Crust. What could it mean if I am a very emotional person, but never actively show them or react emotionally? There's nothing wrong with being like a, like a silent type of guy. As long as you're creating an outlet for you to express those feelings, whether it's through therapy, you don't have to share everything that you're feeling with your friends all the time or like with your partner all the time. As much as everybody's like, oh, like my partner's my best friend or whatever, there's still things you don't tell your your partner that you're thinking about and dealing with. Oh, it's yes. Just, it's just part of it. It's just no. part. There's, you have to be an individual. Yeah. And I think that as long as you have an outlet for your emotions, if you have a therapist that you talk to, if you journal, you know, if you feel emotionally stunted, like I can't cry even if I wanted to, or I don't feel anything, then I would be worried. Everyone expresses their emotions differently. You don't have to cry to express your emotions. I used to be a crybaby. You know, I loved crying, but like I haven't really been crying that much. I cried yesterday during the Oscars, but those are happy tears. Oh. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, that was a great speech. You know what I mean? Seeing Brendan Fraser win and all that stuff. I said, this is really cool. But yeah, there, there's times where I feel that way. I'm like, damn, like, I like emotionless. Like, what's going on? But I'm just I'm just a different type of person. Mm-hmm. I've come a long way from uh, a lot of the reasons I cried before and was very emotional is because I had no grasp on what the hell was going on with me. Yeah. And I mean... I'm not a doctor by any means, but you could also be conditioned by your upbringing as to why you don't show emotion. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure it's probably because your parents didn't show emotion or maybe it wasn't socially acceptable. But as long as you have an outlet now and you feel comfortable that you aren't like just keeping stuff inside and you're going to explode, then you do you like it's different strokes for different folks, as you say, Danny. There's people that have certain personalities. That's I think that's what makes us unique mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Everyone has a right to their own personality. But yeah, as long as you're creating an outlet. and But if you don't have an outlet, then yeah, maybe you might be dealing with some depressive stuff. But you have to try and create that outlet for you to express yourself emotionally, no matter what it is. This is from Katie Evans. She sent in a bunch of questions, actually. We've covered most of them for the most part. But one of them is, how do you deal with suicidal thoughts? You know, it's a dark question, but the thing is, yeah. most pe- most people have them from time to time. And, and even when you have those thoughts, it doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. You're just thinking about this what if thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be controversial, you know what I mean? But I think uh, for me, it might be the comedian in me, but I kind of just think like suicidal ideations are, and thoughts are like kind of normal sometimes. I think everybody thinks about killing themselves at one point in their life. It doesn't mean that we're going to act on it, but, you know, it's also about the frequency. You know, if you're thinking about it every day, then you, you should probably talk to somebody. Yes. That's like not even a joke. Like, so like if you're listening to this and you hear this and you're thinking about it every day, you should probably call someone. But I think that to have a suicidal thought in passing in life has to do with the morality of life. There's a lot of things as human beings that we have to deal with that are nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, There are a lot of things that could push us to a point to maybe have a thought like that. But, you know, people joke about killing themselves all the time. They're like, oh, if this happened to me, I'd just kill myself. Like, you know, you guys, like I'm wearing a Knicks shirt. It's like, yo, if the Knicks lose this game, I'll kill myself. It's something that's, that's joked about a lot. But I'm telling people, I really don't think it's that 
abnormal to have those thoughts. You know, I'm in no way a doctor, but everybody that I've ever talked to about this type of thing, they're like, oh yeah, I've thought about it. It depends on what way you think about it. If you think about the what if, who would come to my funeral? I used to have this uh, idea for a TV show. I wrote a pilot and it was about uh, this girl who died and she got to visit her funeral and see all of the people that came and spoke and all of the people that came out of the woodwork that she hadn't seen in years, all the people that didn't show up. So it's like, obviously like that, you know, that idea is something that's always come through my mind. Who would come to your funeral? You know, like those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, if you're thinking about how you're going to do it, when, what, then that's probably a problem and you yes. should seek medical professional help. Yes. 100%. I agree. But if, you know, if you're having this, like a little passerby, a little, little Tweety bird that comes by and we're just like, Oh man, like, you know, like it's relatively normal to kind of deal with a thought like that in your life. But if you're having them frequently, I would, you know, treat it as an emergency and go talk to somebody about it. Yeah, definitely. And like I said earlier, zoom out, Zoom out and think to yourself, God, like if I were to actually do this, that would suck because I'm awesome. And I have so all these things that I had to look forward to. And this would have just that would just be so dumb. Yeah. Don't make other people decide whether you live or die. (laughs) You know what I mean? Fuck that. Yeah. If someone calls you a piece of shit, every name in the book, I've had people call me every name in the book in the world. Don't ever let that person control your destiny in any way. That's giving them way too much power. No, man. When we had Kevin Hines on the show and I said, what was the first thing you thought about when you jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge? He said, oh, I made a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be statistically what everyone that survives a suicide attempt says. Yeah. So we're just going by the numbers. It'll be something that you would regret. You know, if you're if you're dealing with this frequently, like I said, I, I recommend that you go as to the closest facility that will take a look at you. But if it's just in passing, I think it's relatively normal for people to have those kind of thoughts every once in a while. I don't think it's we deal so much with our own morality. You know, that it's it's destined to come up. People think about death all the time. Yeah, they definitely do. So just don't let it be frequent. And I hope you're doing well. Yes, we hope you're doing well. And, uh, you know, we're we're so grateful for all of you guys, for everyone in this community, for sending in these questions. Sure. Um, I, I think this was a this is a good session. I got some stuff off much. I feel better. Yeah, I feel better, too. Uh, we hope that you guys feel better as well. Yes. And, you know, if you guys want to stay, you know, more in contact with us, you guys can follow us on Instagram at one one OTC. That's where we got all of these questions from. So if you want to become part of the community, you can go follow us on there. We're going to probably start doing this a little more frequently because we want to hear from the audience as well. You guys are just as big of a part of what we're doing here. So yeah, so you can always submit questions on Instagram, send us a DM at one and one OTC. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you guys next time. Thank you to everyone that sent in a question today. Sam, thank you for being here with me. Guys, we're getting out of here, but we love you. We hope you're doing well, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate, entertainment. Ah!